Hello, and welcome back to the Smart Report Podcast. We are putting up our dukes yet again. This is the penultimate showdown. We will be talking about Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinzale, which is the impetus for doing this entire project because Holly wanted Ingrid and I to read it. And also The Wicked Ways of a Duke by Laura Lee Gerke. So our dukes in contention are Reese de Winter, Duke of St. Cyr, and Christian Langland, Duke of Gervaux. I'm Erin. I'm Holly. And I'm Ingrid. And welcome back to the Smart Report podcast. na 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 Smart Report! So, I think... I introduced the Laura Lee Gerke to the bracket. Uh, Holly introduced Flowers from the Storm. So, uh, Holly, why did you want us to read Flowers from the Storm and add it to the bracket here? Uh, well, it's the greatest romance novel ever written. I mean, I would dispute that. Uh, we, will fight. we will fight later. <laughs> we'll fight later. Whatever. It's the greatest romance novel ever written. And Chervaux might be the dukiest duke. That I also would not not agree with, but we'll get there. Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) no. This is going to be real dense. But I think of the three of us, I'm the only one who's read Kinsale before, right? Yeah, I've never read it. Well, I was was starting this book, and there were, in my younger years, some the thou type of romances that I read. I don't know, Laura. This is the only one that I've Okay, that's no. like that. So I must—I don't have any idea what I read. I mean, no. the I mean, plot well, was not she, familiar she to me. That's a medieval. That's also written in like different language, basically. But it's not the thou. It's like medieval English, so okay. it's kind of a different vibe. It um, must be, must be one of those roundheads versus royalists kinds of matchups, maybe. But anyway, so yeah, I, I thought, oh, maybe when I started, and then nothing really felt familiar. So I don't think I've read Kinsale before. Yeah. Well. And then the Girl Bachelors by Laura Lee Gerke. I mean, Holly introduced those to me. Oh, did I? Way back in the day. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, really, it was one of those like, hey, I know it's Victorian and you don't usually read Victorian, but they're Girl Bachelors and it's really fun how they like mm-hmm. are living out on their own. I know. Well, I mean, I think back in the day in 2009 or whatever, this was like shocking for a historical romance novel this these like women living on their own and not just like ladies and i didn't from the title i didn't remember this book but once i started reading it i was like oh yeah oh yeah the girl bachelors i have read this one before i mean i have to say i think the maybe it's the first book in this series where he's like the newspaper man and she's his assistant but he's mm-hmm. also a lord so why is he in trade? I don't know. Whatever. Um, that one might have been my favorite. But this Duke was memorable. So he, here he is. They were both memorable. I I had not read either of these myself. And I, I assumed that going into it and then also confirmed later on that I did not, in fact, read these books <laughs> previously. But yeah, I, uh, I am somewhat glad because I was so grateful for the opportunity to read them both in the same week and feel emotionally shaken and wrecked, which isn't what I'm used to feeling when I read romance novels. <laughs> sorry, Ingrid. I was messaging Holly. She's not sorry at all. reading and was like, I'm not okay. What's going to happen? And Holly was like, oh, just you wait. And I was like, what? It was terrible. And, and it was good, but it was also terrible. It was very stressful. Anyway. All right. Should we do our one sentence summaries? Probably. 
All right. Which one first? Oh, God. Let's get your vote over with first. All right. Well, you sound really excited. So (laughs) (laughs) or do you want me to start with that? Uh, I can start. I'll start. Get it over with. All All right. right. The hedonistic, self-indulgent Duke of Gervaux has a stroke and ultimately has to fight for his very life with the help of a Quaker acquaintance who becomes much more, who has deep reservations about what she is doing with him. That's fair. Good job, Aaron. I'm actually very impressed, Aaron. Did you prepare that in advance? <laughs> what? Did you prepare that in advance? I didn't. I just was, this was like one of the most uncomfortable books that I've ever read in my life. And I was very miserable the entire Ooh, time. So. Those are some big words, Holly. This is oh going to be an interesting, God. interesting discussion. <sighs> this is going to be an interesting discussion. Okay. My once in summary. Let's hear Flowers it. from the Storm. Okay. Duke is forcibly institutionalized after having a stroke and convinces his nurse to help him prove his competency and also tricks her into marrying him. But don't worry, it's love. (laughs) I mean, is it? I have some concerns. That that may very well be one of the best summaries ever, though. Let's just be realistic. All right. All right. Mine is going to involve some creative punctuation to make this work, but I'm tired, so we're just going to go with it. He is a once hedonistic and powerful duke stricken down by probably a stroke. Some punctuation. She is a Quaker who is deeply devout and called to help him. Some punctuation there. (laughs) (laughs) Together, they desperately navigate his healing and sanity and ultimately their relationship with one another. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Very nice. Thank you. Now, the punctuation does just let's just pretend that it works. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I mean, I've gotten away with plenty, so I feel like you should get one. Thank you. I'm real tired today, guys. So (laughs) this is going to be touch and go. All right. But yes, that's my one sentence summary for sure, Bo. All right. Well, Ingrid, do we should we go backward around for Saint Cyr? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go backward let's... around for Saint Cyr, which is what interesting. Do you got? <clears throat> All right. Like, just let me just think for one second. So, we'll, we're just going to go with the theme of <laughs> questionable punctuation. He is a manipulative, broke, degenerate duke who desperately needs to marry an heiress in order to save his skin and all of the skins of everyone in his family and on all of his estates. Interesting punctuation here. (laughs) She is a seamstress turned real mega heiress who is also extremely gullible and desperate to be loved. Yeah. Interesting punctuation here. How can one tell if they truly love one another when the entire basis of their relationship is questionable punctuation. That's my summary. All right. Very nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go with Duke Wu's heiress is sneaky about it. That's good. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with 
Sancir ran from his past, but when his uncle died, it caught up with him. And now he is in desperate need of funds, not just for himself, but to save the dukedom. And so, believing that a marriage of mutual convenience will not succeed, he begins a courtship of deception with a newly discovered American heiress. Hmm. Semicolon, naturally, this bites him in the ass later. I did like that punctuation. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are what are we dealing with with these dukes? I, yeah. I <sighs> let's, let's start with Sincere because I feel like he's he's more a little, he's a little more straightforward. Yeah, he is straightforward. straightforward. He he is straightforward, especially because for like eighty percent of the book, he's a turd. That's the, that's as straightforward as I can make it. Yeah, <laughs> I thought this was really interesting. There were some weird things that I remembered, like. Oh, they, he falls in love with her, but she's actually poor, but he's like desperately in need of money. This is the only Duke we have in the lists who doesn't have wealth, to marry right? an heiress. Yeah, yeah needs yeah. money, right? Which I feel like is interesting because I feel like that's kind of a common Duke trope. But maybe it it's is. just a common... It's common for Victorian... Victorian aristocracy set. books. Yeah, because by that time, we've got the Industrial Revolution going, and a lot of the landed aristocracy had not diversified their portfolios, so to speak, mm -hmm. and were... Except for all of the dukes we already read about. Right, exactly. Right. They were the really smart. They were really smart. about <laughs> um, diversifying their portfolios <laughs> in, like, 1782. Yeah. So, unlike... Unlike... Everyone else. Yeah. His ancestors just kept on spending like they were, like it was 1688 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. But I thought that with respect to Sincere in particular, I mean, I think it's more of an aristocrat thing. And I know that Laurie Lee Gerke in particular, like has a whole series of books featuring Ameri American heiresses. It's a different okay. series than this one. So it might just be one of her jams in particular. And because I've read most of her backlist, like that's familiar. Yeah. But I, I think more familiar is the type of Duke that we have been reading, mm -hmm. but it's not uncommon for, for yeah. a Duke to have to save Broke his dukedom with a, with a fortune. Yeah. And he's, I feel like he's like a pretty standard rake character, yeah. right? Like, like, I mean, he he wants to save his dukedom, but it seems I, – I might not be remembering this correctly, but he doesn't seem that worried about duty or actually about the people who are employed by the dukedom. He's just like, I got a lots of debts and – Well, it's like – so his backstory is – well, okay. Like, real backstory. He and his brother, he had the standard – traumatic duke upbringing except for he wasn't the heir at that point and uh, so he grew up in a messy household anyway and then he and his brother are sexually abused by their uncle and his brother ends up committing suicide so lots of deep trauma there so basically for his whole adulthood he's been on the run on the continent, avoiding his family, avoiding any responsibilities. You know, he's got something going for himself where he doesn't have to worry about money because he goes and spends time with his friends. And when that wears out, he goes and stays with another friend. So my read of the situation was without the dukedom, he would have just continued 
to live that life and would uh, not have become accountable for something greater. But the debts incurred by the dukedom in particular, plus the taxes, like the death taxes from mm. his uncle, were so substantial that he is forced to reckon with his inheritance like he that's true he could have maybe run away to america but he he is in a place where he honestly feels like he doesn't have a choice anymore and now he has to reckon with his with like real life honestly Right. I had forgotten about the death taxes, but it's not until later in the book, he's kind of like pulling the wool over her eyes. And oh, yeah. like, right. In the scene where he's like, oh, but all my people. And she's like, oh, you're right. We should do a tour of your estates and and like fix everything. And he's like, oh, maybe I laid it on a little too thick with the oh, my people duty bit. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. He was one of the most manipulative heroes I have read it's in a long terrible. time. Well, the yeah. other thing is, is that I think now we're used to seeing authors kind of hedge their bets with characters like that. So like more, I think more modern authors would feel perhaps a bit more, I don't want to say pressure, but there would be more of an inclination to have them express some remorse earlier on or like some hesitation. And like, he has no hesitation. He has <laughs> none. He is yeah. div- committed to this course of action and feels no qualms yeah, about he's it. only upset when he that he gets caught right yeah, exactly yep. yeah i found him very interesting because i felt like his entire character was like all of the choices that he was making were driven by his relationship to the dukedom mm. both the avoidant behaviors and also the manipulative behaviors right because mm-hmm. on the one hand he's been avoiding dealing with his heritage right for his entire adulthood and on the other hand now he feels like he is in a position where he has to deal with it and so right and there is a point at the beginning where he's like oh maybe you know she's got money i don't have money like but i have a title like we can come to an arrangement and then she says oh well you have to marry for love and he's like ah oh, damn it <laughs> that's not gonna work <laughs> yeah so um because she's, I, you know, naive. and Well, I think the problem with this is her naivete forms the entire basis of the conflict in this book. So we're mm-hmm. not talking about we're not talking about her, but right. Like this book doesn't really work without her being so oblivious <laughs> to the possibility. Like she's so convinced that he is being sincere and that he can't possibly have heard about her inheritance and unlike her family who are vultures (laughs) he is the best guy yeah but she also doesn't recognize that her family are vultures like oh yeah that was all well whatever i had lots of of feelings can we bring it back to sincere though absolutely because i feel like aaron made a really good argument for why his story his the plot of this book is very tied to his dukedom but i feel like he as a duke if we go back to our trifecta of wealth power and isolation he's got none of these going on really right i mean like maybe in the future he can look forward to wealth and power but he's not like all he does is like travel around and hang out with his bros so even though he's dealing with a traumatic past i wouldn't say he's more isolated than any other cis hetero man who doesn't know how to process his feelings is. Yeah. Okay. In terms of a duke, 
we're not dealing with like, oh, he comes from a lot of power. He's just inherited, but he has isolated himself on the continent. And his friends routinely say, I don't know if anybody really knows him Mm. because he's Mm -hmm. so walled off because of the trauma of his brother's death, not because of his birth exactly because of Mm -hmm. his trauma. But there is that like he's physically isolated himself for most of his adulthood. And also his friends are like, I know him the best of anyone, but even I don't always feel like I know him. Yeah. So that's maybe my rebuttal to that. I think the wealth component, I mean, when we're talking about they have to have wealth, I think more to the point here is he is driven by the need for wealth. Right. He has a lack of it. And that is a problem. Yes. Fair. And we're not even talking about like, there's a point at the beginning where he is, there's like a friend or a childhood acquaintance that he's known for a long time, his whole life, her whole life, whatever. She's like much younger than him. And she is an heiress, but Mm -hmm. nothing compared to the heroine. Yeah. And so, you know, he would have maybe been okay with a small fortune from this English heiress, but now he gets to have this million pounds per annum fortune. Yeah, so except he didn't like going for her heiress. So that she was she was bad awful. attitude. Totally bad attitude. He's a nice guy who only wants nice women. Exactly. He wants nice, comfy, fluffy women. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and power. I mean, I don't. This book didn't really seem to focus too heavily on uh, the power aspects of. Yeah. Except, except that in the resolution, he gives up power along with wealth, right? Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have it, but it's really the potential of wealth. So do you really have it if it's just potential? But he, he does give up power, all of the power that he has. He will have no power. That's the solution that he offers. So there is something of that dynamic in the resolution. Yeah, right. Because he, like, decide, he shows her that he'll marry her even without the money, right? Right. Well, not just that, that he'll make it so that he'll marry her without the money and that the result will be that he will be absolutely destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just like, oh, I'll marry you and I just won't have any money. It's like, I'll marry you and I will completely blow up my life in a way that like our children's children will be paying for it. Like it'll be really bad. Yeah. That's that's a significant power shift for him. So maybe, I mean, this one is a book that's we've had a couple books that are playing with these ideas we had two dukes who learn their dukes later one duke mm-hmm. who learns he's not a duke this is a different way it seems like we're seeing the, an author play with what is a duke or like what is a duke contending with mm-hmm. so it's maybe not that the ideas are absent they're just applied in different ways yeah yeah maybe yeah i mean yeah for sure some light uh, tweaking tweaking i don't know if i buy like to me he reads like he's a rake archetype more than a duke archetype and i felt that he could have been an earl or a viscount or like any kind of landed guy who still has to pay a big death tax in order to inherit his wealth and has a lot of debts so that's interesting i mean i don't disagree with you but i was i was reading i think i felt the opposite that he was extremely driven by his relationship to the dukedom. But Mm. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose if he were an earl, he could have had a similar experience. Yeah, or a marquis. I think for, for actually, I think for both of these books this week, if we were talking about them being anything else, we would talk about them being the higher aristocracy, not like a viscount or a baron. That's fair. If yeah, we were going I mean, to reapply, because there are elements where you know those are the highest levels of power: earl, marquis, and duke. Mm-hmm. So maybe they don't have to be a duke, but they do have to be that degree of aristocratic at the bare minimum. So, but I also don't think, I mean, we've said, can this book succeed without the character being a Duke? And I don't know how, I mean, how I feel like that's more arguable in uh, most of the books. Yeah, This one I felt kind of fell into the same category as the Sarah McLean book we read, Mm. right? Where he has quite a few Dukey characteristics, Maybe you could you could argue that yeah, he'd be okay if he were a different kind of aristocrat. All right, so yeah. Ingrid, you felt like well, you were traumatized by this book. Is that right? It just it was so. <laughs> so what are you thinking about this? Book? I just had this terrible pit in my stomach the whole time. It was literally like watching a sweet little lamb be led to slaughter. Like it was just <laughs> so hard. I was like, "You poor honey!" Like he is gonna absolutely wreck you and there was no indication like there's always an indication that there's goodness in there and the author doesn't even give us that nothing there's no indication he's just well, he starts to have a little redemption arc when they're at the castle and he is like oh but it's so tiny oh, this Aaron. is what my life could be like like oh i could be a different person than i was before <laughs> and then and then it crashes down. and then it Sorry, crashes no it was it was at even at that point what is that like 75 percent of the way through oh, the book 80 yeah. percent of the way through the book <laughs> so by that point i've sat here in misery just like absolute misery for the whole book and i'm like oh my god i felt like he, like holly said i have to agree i feel like it was much more what is it morality chain type thing like rakes redemption it felt more like that than it did a duke book i think that i did make a note at the time that i felt like there were some like textual compelling evidence that he felt a greater degree of pressure and urgency because of the level of his title Mm. Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so like I could see it being argued that sure you could have him have a different title, but it probably wouldn't be as good of a book. Like just cause it can work doesn't mean that it works as well. So mm-hmm. I think there's, this is in some murky gray area as far as whether or not you could pop him out of a dukedom and have it still work. But I do think that really, if you're looking at the plot, do I think this is like a diehard Duke book? I think if we had a discussion on morality chain, which all of a sudden I'm getting this idea that we're going to have a morality chain showdown. I don't know where I'm getting this idea from. (laughs) But anyway, the point is, I think that if we had a different showdown and it was like morality chain showdown, this would like take the cake. You know what I mean? I don't know. It'd be hard to overcome Montgomery for a morality chain showdown. We we wouldn't even be able to include that one, Erin, because (laughs) duh. But yeah. and I, f- I felt like her plot arc, her development was more interesting to me than his. He was mm. just so f- he was just so static until the very end. Uh, and she had just so many f- like she's where from where she starts 
where she is in the middle when she's just being so naive and like easily pushed around and then kind of like how she finds her way and and then the way that she puts everything on its head at the end like she was more interesting so it was kind of like that does kind of influence my opinion even though I know we didn't discuss it when we set up the parameters for this discussion because it's kind of like well if she has this very quiet resurgence of power I don't know how to describe it but like if if I'm more focused on how she's driving the plot than how he's driving the plot that influences how I feel about him as a duke yeah that makes sense and it's interesting her as a character because I feel like many of these books the heroine is shown to be a good match for the duke in ways that are not naive and quiet the way this heroine was right like they're Mm -hmm. good matches for the duke because they are secure in themselves and commanding yeah commanding or like really smart or right they're exemplary in some way Mm -hmm. and she is not exemplary she is no she's definitely going through her growth arc it's definitely one of those where she starts with refusing to own her power and then takes her power at the end so okay have we exhausted this duke i think you guys are gonna have to convince me about gervo okay well so, so let's talk about if you Gervaux. would like to talk about gervo okay we need we should talk about gervo so um how about you tell me why you don't think he's dookie first <sighs> i think it boils down to for me the vast majority of this book is not focused on him uh, owning or coming to terms with his dukedom it's that he is fighting for his life and independence. Which is intrinsically tied up with his dukedom. Like he's fighting for his independence and also for his ability to control the title and not have the title revert back to the crown. Right, because would he be significantly... I think there are elements of this story that are directly tied to his title. Once again, as I already said, though, does he have to be a duke? Could he also be an earl or a marquis who is also in a position of power at the beginning of the story? Because he's art, he, he starts out as uh, politically involved and well-known. He's a mathematician who's well-known for his genius. So his whole like position is working for him. Absolutely. But the king can befriend earls just as easily as dukes. So there's that. But I think... For the majority of the story, like until they get to the castle, he is fighting to not go back to the asylum and be imprisoned against his will again. And I think that is something that is universal to any person who is aware enough to not want to experience that. So I did not find that in particular to be a particularly dukish aspect of the story. Hmm. It's not until they get to the castle and he realizes what has happened in his absence and also how much he has to fight in order to force his way into not having to go to another hearing Mm -hmm. that we really see his aristocratic power come into play. There's also an interesting component of their social distance where, you know, Maddie's a big foil. Um, and she is so very opposed to the aristocracy. but And so like him being a duke is extremely superlative, but she would be just as opposed to being married to an earl. <laughs> she can't get well, married in a steeple house. <laughs> this is a gray area here because and I 
I'm very going to happily be the filling to the Holly Aaron argument Ooh. sandwich. Yes, do it. But this is why, because I actually feel like, I feel like this. I feel like if he were an Earl or a lower position, that he would be less likely to fight for that role because they offer him money, a place to live. They offer him his freedom if he gives up the dukedom and he says no. Right, but yeah. why would he give up an earldom? He's giving up – no, 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 because he's not giving up the dukedom. He is giving up his independence. That would be like any of us telling our adult children, if you follow my instructions for the rest of your life and live where I tell you to live and live on the allowance that I choose to give you, will you be okay with that? Hmm. I don't think – I don't see it. I don't see – a man, maybe if he were a different man before he started, but the way he's presented at the beginning, he is. He's like the he's the man who's owning his own life. He's living whatever he wants. He has. He doesn't care. He's right. Like, well, and this is why I think he's so like because at the beginning, what like you said, he is living his own life. He is like he has everything. He right? doesn't care about consequences. He doesn't care about consequences. He has so much power right he's just like he's like yep i have political power i have financial power i have social power like screw all y'all like this is you know that like i'm just gonna do what i want and like he's so entitled he just he, and it he doesn't even occur to him he's just like oh yeah i'll just like do what i want and i'll fight a duel and it's fine like i won't be exiled whatever and that characterization is what drives then what he's trying to get back to for the rest of the book. And I feel like that characterization is kind of quintessentially what we decided dukes were. Well, also this, also this. So we've talked about how he's very dukey in his demeanor in the beginning, and that's obvious, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about how his, like what saves him is his ability to find his way back to that dukiness, right? Right. He... I beg to differ that an earl could get the king to show up to his party. I think a yeah. duke, that's a duke. A duke, ha he, a duke bought a tiara and convinced the king to come to his party. I don't think you could say an earl could do that. You, it would have to be a very powerful earl. I just don't buy it. And I think furthermore, Aaron, that when you talk about like how it, the, it's more a person's desperate fight for their freedom. I agree with you on that. I, I have 100% agree with you on that. But what I saw was that all of the kernels that are being dropped, like the breadcrumb trail that he follows to find himself again and his freedom, they are all integral parts of being a duke. So like when he, even when he's in the asylum and he's trying to communicate that like, I don't wear these clothes. These are not clothes that are okay enough for me. Mm -hmm. He's like, I am a duke. I don't wear this. The signet ring, they won't give him the ring, right? These are parts right. of his identity. And I know that you could say like a lot of this stuff is like, oh, an earl or whatever, but I don't think it would hit the same way because it's, oh my, how far he's fallen. That's part of why it's striking. If he were like a simple country baron and was like- I said he had to be an earl or higher. He okay, can't, fine. No, Even if he's an earl, I don't think those moments would hit the same way because you'd be like, oh, poor earl. You know, a duke yeah. is the high is about as high as you can get without being a prince or a princess, right? So, like, I think those moments where he's fighting for who he is, those moments are he's looking for who he is is a duke. It's a powerful, wealthy duke, influential duke who is also very brilliant, and so he's fighting for these things, and those things are 
in part being a duke. Yeah. And I would like to say, Aaron, that I feel like most romance readers do not know the order of how fancy different aristocrats are. It's well, true. I hate it, to say that it. That is a serious you. deficiency in all of I our know. education. I, I know. I think that's just you. I'm pretty sure when I read an Earl book, I'm like, okay, so he's like a baron. Okay, cool. And like there's dukes and then there's like the guys in the okay. middle. But even, okay, okay, okay. And just the, to throw this out there. I think, well, I know maybe this is the propensity for Dukes in our romance mm-hmm. writing literature and throwing back that Courtney Milan quote of like, people think it's unreasonable for this, but they think it's reasonable for 20,000 Dukes to exist. So, okay, this is what we're dealing with. But like Anthony Bridgerton, who is a Viscount, mm-hmm. is also presented as having a relationship with the king or royalty, like being at a top echelon of the aristocracy. Okay. You know, getting whatever he wants. So I think it's also really heavily dependent on how the author chooses to present the protagonist as well, but that's maybe a conversation for a different day. Mm. Okay. I think at the end of the day, this book to me, first of all, as I maybe said at the beginning, unless I edit it out. <laughs> this was I did not enjoy reading this book at any point. (laughs) Okay, that's not totally true. There were a couple zingers in there that I was like, that's pretty funny. (laughs) But this was like, maybe the most deeply uncomfortable read I would have DNF'd it at chapter five if I had not been reading it for this. What made it uncomfortable for you? Like what part specifically? Because there were some things that made me really uncomfortable too. It's not even just one part. It's, I mean, when he's in the asylum, like I was getting One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest vibes and I, I don't want to read that you know it's it's interesting to me because if i were reading nonfiction, i would probably be able to read it with equanimity but the fact that it's in a fiction format makes it more emotionally challenging and i think also for me in this particular instance having a child who struggles to verbalize made it even harder mm-hmm. and then on top of that i think the vast majority of maddie and christian's relationship was just i didn't want i was just like why why i mean like pick a lane maddie are you called to like do this or not and this is a roller coaster i want to get off of i i was like why are you together right now i'm can you see me like do you choose me can i count on you and it was just like does she see him i mean at the beginning maybe then does she then can he count on her like She's not choosing him. She's like about to bail on him for at least 50% of the book. Like, it was, well, and it goes both ways. I, like, I don't like this. She's also finding out that she's been lied to and pushed into it for most of the book, too. So, yeah. I mean, you guys were talking about how manipulative Sancerre is. Chervaux is just as manipulative. But right? does, I never understood that Chervaux did it. I thought it was his friends. Uh, yeah, but he's like, he's like, Durham, I'm gonna marry her, and I need you to make it happen. And Durham's like, okay. No, well, Dur- he says, I'm gonna marry her, and Durham's like, I will make it happen. So, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, yes, I think there are a lot of points where Gervaux is extremely self-absorbed in his mm-hmm. pursuit of gaining his freedom and independence again. But, mm-hmm. yeah, just in terms of the actual romance, I was like, 
this sucks. I will say this in the beginning. <laughs> I did not like it. In the beginning, I actually had to speed ahead because I was like, I, and I never do. I literally, this is the first time I think I've ever done this in the book because I read so fast. I can ruin books for myself like that. If I even open a book accidentally to the wrong page, cause it's done. But, um, I had to skip ahead because I was like, okay, crap, I have to finish this book for a podcast. And uh, I don't know if I can do this because in the beginning, even his stream of consciousness is so it it doesn't I don't know what it feels like, obviously, to be a stroke victim. And I assume that's what he had was a stroke of some kind. I mean, that's what it's historical fiction is always they don't ever want to like make it clear because they didn't have the same right terminology. But yeah, but it's just it was so just kind of shocking. Like it was like, oh my God, how are they going to pull this off? And then when I skipped forward and I went like to like seven eighths of the way finished mm-hmm. and he was still having the same speech impediment going on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, this is bad. Cause I was like, how are they going to, cause at the time, you know, early on in the book, you have no idea. You think that like, you don't know what he says in the beginning, it's not just like he's trying to say words. He'll he'll try to sound out words and then he'll just start going on a tangent with math terminology. Mm-hmm. So you have no idea. You're like, oh my gosh, is are they gonna are they gonna have a ethically questionable relationship here? And they do have an ethically questionable relationship, but for not the reasons that you think. It's because she is super religious and was basically like strong armed into doing something against her religion, and that he has motives that are potentially at her expense. Hmm. And so it's kind of like, how are you supposed to reconcile the, the motivations that like these two go into the relationship with? And the only way that they can do that, they can, you can like buy into the relationship is for them to separate and choose it. And so that's what ends up happening. But it was, yeah. it was, uh, I could see, I was like, Oh, yep. So I'm starting to get a much better read on Holly's preferences <laughs> and like it's almost like the more ridiculous the better is what I'm coming up with well so I think I was like I need I'm not a literary analysis person I like it plain and so I went to I know that Charlotte who goes by the handle Roman Stigar loves flowers from the storm so it's like okay I need some additional perspective so I went and read her piece on flowers from the storm which was very interesting and that is her website is close reading romance like she specializes in literary analysis textual analysis and and there were some interesting points and i think what is really amazing about this book that i you know wolf readily acknowledge i did not enjoy reading <laughs> was the way that kinsale designed i think in particular Gervaux's language Right. The way he processes information and the way we see how he processes information over time and also the way that he communicates or or struggles to communicate verbally over the course of the book. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that's contrasted with Maddie's Quaker plain speech. And so I do think that there is some pretty interesting, cool stuff happening with this text. I just didn't like it. (laughs) That's fair. I mean... I, for me, it's more, I liked that it was, it's different. In the end, I liked that it's not like he ever goes back to the way he was. Do you know what I mean? He's changed forever. And like, she doesn't, you know, wash that clean. Like it's, I I liked that she left it, that this is who he is now and that he has found a way to function 
as a duke in a position, a very visible position of power on his own terms mm-hmm. in his own way. And so I, I really liked the way that the author did that. I thought it was very effective and it made me really like my heart bleed for him in a way that I don't think it would have otherwise. I had a harder time. I never really felt great about Maddie giving up her faith because it's not like that she, she was grieving so hard in the end of the book and it just felt very abrupt that she was like, okay, this is what I want. But I I think if when I look at the book and I'm like, okay, gut instinct, did I like it or did I not like it? It made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's not like or dislike. It's not like or dislike. I thought it was really well written. I mean, I feel like I've read some books where in the beginning I was like, am I uncomfortable? But then I, yeah. Right. I, I don't think that, I don't think, I'm not sure that when you're reading a, a book about somebody who's, actual whose like sense of self and their life is on the line in a way like that where they're that vulnerable for that much of the book I just I'm not sure you can do it honestly and with intention and not have it be uncomfortable like it kind of has to be so I I think I did like it I don't like feeling uncomfortable at this point in time in my life (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm slowly starting to like things that make me because I used to love it when I was younger and then life happened and now life is uncomfortable all the time just getting up in the morning. So now I'm like, no, thank you. I'd like my books with as much comfort as possible. But I, I actually feel like I feel like of the two Dukes, I had much more deep feelings about Gervaux than I did about St. Cyr. Sire. <laughs> Saint Cyrus, that guy. Here's my Thank token. You, no, that's wrong. I'm just gonna go Here's like my token. Uh, it's sincere, and he, like the audiobook narrator, says it wrong. The entire book okay. was painful. And ladies and gentlemen, he was nothing close to sincere. <laughs> the entire book. <laughs> no, he was sincere at the very end. <laughs> you think so? I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was a it was a real toughie. Both these books were doozies, but um honestly yeah, I could see why Holly yeah, liked it. I a thought lot. I was gonna be blown away by Flowers from the Storm. I was really surprised at how I ended up actually feeling about it. So that was surprising. And hmm, that's fine. You guys can have your wrong opinions <laughs> about this book. I think it's interesting. But I, I am in a happy you know gray what? area, Holly. I th- it's interesting to me that this book I mean, okay, it has some other literary stuff going on, but all of the feelings, like the tension, the dread on behalf of the characters are are feelings that I associate strongly with reading dark romance. Oh. So that was another thing I was like, oh, oof, oof, oof. I did feel a lot of dread. I was so, I was so worried. Yeah. And I also felt... I felt her resentment when she found out that like them rousing them out from the middle of the night and taking them to the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was so worried about him. And then when I found out it was fake, I was like, I am indignant, <laughs> indignant. Cause I was like, I felt worried. Yeah. How dare you do that to me? See, I feel like it's more like, like a really good romantic suspense, right? Where they're, they have an outside problem that they yes. have to work together to solve. That's a good argument too. Romantic suspense. Though. I also sometimes, if it's like a real, really intense Although, one. See, but yeah, except I feel like most romantic suspense is like not that good. So like, 
I don't get those like feelings of dread, like oh, like this bad guy is actually a threat. Not usually. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Oh, lots going on oh, here. When they, when they, when he, when he could not get his own money. Oh my gosh, I I went white in the face. <laughs> it was Gervaux and I together. <laughs> Oh, he, he got the letter yeah. from the bank being Ooh. like nope yeah. wow and, and then she, he fixes it by duking he's like I, yes he does he, you know he fakes it he like fakes his way through by just being as like dookie as possible even though he's like i know i can't talk i know i can't write so i'm just gonna be disdainfully silent the whole time and that, and that was dookish you yeah. i don't think it would be the same if it were an earl it wouldn't right like you know, if you're not high enough, then you can't get away with that. You know, and he like goes and he starts calling on people when he's trying to reestablish himself. He just like goes with his buddy and like stands in the corner and glowers for five minutes and then leaves and it works. And everybody's like, oh, okay. It's like, I guess he's, he's back. back. Like, that's cool. <laughs> it's vote time. I mean, we know what Holly like, chooses. You, yeah, so it's up to you guys. <laughs> Holly says flowers. It's hard. It's hard. It's you can't really even wonder when she has said multiple times it's the best romance novel ever. Aaron, but the best romance we said in the first episode of this showdown, best romance novel does not necessarily equate to the best Duke. So we will see okay. what happens. Maybe today, we'll but see what definitely forthcoming if not today. Yeah, I mean, so fine, better book. Just like I like, I love how dense and textured it is and this is me the like the literary analysis nerd <laughs> like oh i get to do literary analysis nerdiness on romance novels Yay! <laughs> um, but i mean i just think i i just think he's a dookier duke he just embodies dookiness a lot more than sincere does and i feel like he has he and sincere share many characteristics right they're both reiki they both are just are very self-absorbed but Giroux has that plus all this plus influence, plus power, plus wealth. extreme isolation, mm. plus wealth. Uh, like he has a lot of the same stuff that Sincere does, plus he has all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So okay. That's why I got to vote for him as the Duke or Duke. Thank Aaron, you. <gasps> you go first. <sighs> what if I need to be the tiebreaker? I'm the tiebreaker. I'm the gray area. You're not supposed to be the tiebreaker. <laughs> so honestly, I was going into this conversation thinking that, as I sort of maybe only alluded to earlier, I felt like Sincere's entire motivation for every action that he took was directly related to his relationship to the dukedom. And so I was leaning toward him being the better duke, even though I don't think it was the better book. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but... But I feel like you guys made a good argument at the very minimum about the way he uses, even though he has changed significantly due to his illness and recovery, the way that he regains his power is, I think, yeah, undisputedly tied to his prior dukishness. So I guess I'm going to change my vote and have it be your vote. All right, that's interesting because I was the one who was I was going to vote Gervaux from the jump, and then I switched halfway oh, through. No, did you? And I was going to do sincere, even though I hate that guy. <laughs> but I feel like what's really it's boiling down to for me is could if you left everything else the same, 
which one would work better if you bumped him down to an earl or a baron? Sorry, Aaron. Nobody really cares which one. You're the only you one who cares. Baron. Oh my god. Aaron. Guys. So I know, sweetheart. Hang in there. So my point is this: which one? So hang, just I mean, breathe, Aaron. Baron Through your nose. Billy the conch. Baron under Billy the conch. That would be okay. And I think that, in fact, Gervaux is the one who has to be the dukier duke. Simply, and the, what it boils down to for me is that I think that for sincere, sincere, Mister Insincere, um, it's more the money than it is the position. For Gervaux, mm-hmm. it's the position. Because he needs the protection of the to position. keep sure. him safe. Yeah. So I vote Gervaux. I went right. flippity flop. Oh man, what a roller Gervaux coaster! It is. An emotional roller coaster, a debate roller yeah. coaster. I'm gonna have to take some time off really, after this. Really, guys. <laughs> this is a hard one. <laughs> I, I had to read two, two of the silliest books. Easier book. to read. Goodness. Hmm. Well, we we'll will see. find out. We will find out. All right. So Christian Langland Gervaux is our winner. Which is good because I have him going all the way. <laughs> so, but we'll see what we happens. We could have a big upset um, in the next round. We could and have then- a big upset. We'll see. Um, so, our last matchup is a fan favorite, it must be said Wolfric mm-hmm. Bedwin from A Slightly Dangerous by Mary Ballow versus uh, The Duke of Colton from The Courtesan Duchess by Joanna Shoup. And I think none of us have read this one. So, I'm, this must have been a suggestion from somebody else. I think else. it came from the internets. Yeah, so I guess we're going to find out what happens. I think this one has a very messy interpersonal relationship. So something oh, to look good. forward to. Oh, How delightful. I mean, she's called, it's called the Courtesan Duchess. So, you know, there's going to be some mess there. <laughs> <laughs> no lies detected. Thanks for joining us for this round. I hope it was as intense for you as it was seriously intense for us. Join us next time for our last face-off before we hit the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and the championship. In the meantime, if you'd like to see the full show notes, please go to smutreport.com slash podcast. Keep it smutty, folks. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-